here we are now. And today, I'd like to say a few words in appreciation of Miles Davis. Miles Davis was an American jazz trumpet player, composer, and band leader, prominent in the second half of the 1900s, the 20th century. And he's probably one of the most iconic American jazz musicians, if not the most from that period at least. And there are many things that we can say about his discography and his career because it is so rich in diversity. There are just so many different styles that he experimented with, so many new combos that he made, so many musicians that he worked with and cultivated music with. And it's really so rich that it's hard to sum it up in just a few words. But there is one thing that I'd like to skewer this conversation with, and that is innovation. If we could talk about Miles Davis in the broadest terms, I think innovation is one of the words that fits. And to appreciate innovation, it's really tricky sometimes because often we think of innovation as the new thing, the cutting edge, the brilliant idea, the radical idea, the, oh my goodness, how did we come up with that sort of attitude or idea or concept? And, well, now we're looking back 40, 50, 60, 70 years to a music that has passed and has long since become institutionalized and canonized in some ways and traditionalized. So to appreciate the innovation of Miles Davis, we really need to go back and understand what was happening at the time. In what climate did he make his musical advances? In what ways did he, in, in what times did he come up with these new musical ideas? And probably one of the biggest shifts that he contributed to modern jazz and American jazz music was the shift to cool jazz. And this is heard best on his most famous album, Kind of Blue. And in fact, I would say that it's actually telling that that's his most famous album. It says something about how innovative it is 
and how new it is and how much of a a leap in pioneering adventurousness it was for him to do this. So Kind of Blue came out 1959. And American jazz, up until then, had sort of had this broad arc. We'd had the early Dixieland and the sort of polyphonic jazz of New Orleans. And then we'd had the big band sounds in the 20s. So, so, so Dixieland is like pre-1900. That's like 1890 and onwards. And then we've got swing, which is the big bands like the Benny Goodmans. And the 20s, that's in the 20s and there are people dancing to it. And then we get into Charlie Parker and the bebop era. And from there, so we're in about the 1930s, from there, there becomes this arc which goes into, from bebop into hard bop and hot jazz. And that brings us down into the 1940s and 50s, which is Art Blakey and Max Roach and later... Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie, these sorts of musicians. And the broad arc, the general arc, from the 1890s to the 1950s, is that it's becoming more complex. American jazz is becoming more complex. The tempo is getting faster. There are more chords per lead sheet, per head, per song. How do we have more chords? The chords are more complicated. We're doing upper extensions. Like, I don't want to get too technical, but we're doing extensions like flat 13s and sharp 9s and chord substitutions and multiple harmonies. And they're becoming more intricate in their rhythms. What beats do they start on? What phrasing is there, what offbeats, onbeats, downbeats, these sorts of things. How long are the phrases? And this this arc, this huge arc, really culminated in the late 50s where there was this really fast, complicated, technical jazz music happening in America. And that was what everyone was on. That's what everyone was into. That was like well, how do we play it even more complicated? And if you can't keep up, you're not in the band. And there was this culture of jam sessions of trying to outplay each other, play higher, play faster, play louder, play more complicated, play more notes. And this is the culture of American jazz. This is what jazz is all about. Jazz is complicated. Jazz is the musician's music. And Miles Davis was a part of this. He played with Charlie Parker. He played with Dizzy Gillespie. He played with Art Blakey in the 30s and the 40s. But then we come to Kind of Blue. And on this album, Kind of Blue, Miles Davis does a complete cultural revolution. He does does a full 360-degree turn on the entire history 
of jazz up until that moment. And it is astonishing what comes out. He does the exact opposite of all that he's learnt, all the people around him, all the bands that he's played in, all of his influences, all the people that he's that's involved in the scene. The, the whole lot of it is completely reversed. And he gives birth to Kind of Blue, which is cool jazz. So what is it? Well, it's the opposite of the hot jazz of the time. Instead of lots of chords per tune, they say, well, let's have less chords. And this is taken to the extreme, so there's actually only two chords in some of the songs on this album. And that's a big jump around from having <laughs> 36 or more tunes, uh, 36 or more chords per tune of the hot bop era. And, well, instead of fast swing, they go slow swing. There are even more ballads. And, well, instead of playing high and fast, what do they do? They play soft and mellow. And this cool jazz album, this kind of blue, is really a pinnacle piece because of how innovative it is. And quite strangely enough, he actually used all the hot musicians. He used all of the, well, not all of them. We could say Jimmy Cobb was the right man for the job. But one of the musicians is John Coltrane on this album. And what did he do? Well, a year later, he brings out Giant Steps, which is a jazz album, which is a step in the arc even further towards complexity. So now not only is it two chords per bar, you know, 36 chords and really, really fast and really, really complicated, but it's also moving in very obscure directions. So Giant Steps was John Coltrane just taking the game to a whole nother level in the arc of complexity. And yet here in 1959, Miles Davis is doing the complete opposite to everyone else. And that is his innovation. That is his genius. And perhaps only he could have got away with it. Perhaps only he could have done it. And that's what made him the musician that he is, the genius that he is. If we look at a band... And what it means to start a band. It's really the same for any sort of organization or management or human collective or institution or anything really. I'm just trying to think of what it doesn't apply to. Anywhere where you've got like a community or anything that's more than a couple of humans together trying to do the same thing, there's really only two factors. And these are two factors that Miles Davis was very much well aware of. And they are also part of his genius. They're part of his legacy as a jazz icon. And it's the factors of starting a band. So these two factors, what are they? You're starting a band. 
What do you need? What do you need when you start a band? Well, you need the people in it. And you need what music you play. And basically everything else falls into those two categories. So you're choosing which people to be in the band. You're getting them together. You're organizing them to be in the same place at the same time. And you're choosing what music to play, what to do, how to do it. What do we rehearse? What do we focus on? And within, within those two, there are, well, there are limits. There are complications. There's a vision. There's an ideal getting butt up against a reality. There's a grinding of work. And Miles Davis, really, he made this his thing. He made this one of his skills, which is choosing the musicians, choosing combinations of musicians. And one way of looking at it is you could say, well, Miles Davis, he was such an icon, he could have chosen anyone. He could have got anyone to be in his band. He just picked the best players. Everyone has to say yes to Miles Davis. And in a sense, that's true. But in another sense, no, because there were musicians who had their own plans, had their own bands, had played with him for some time but didn't want to continue because they wanted to do their own musical projects, and so on. Well, I mean, (laughs) Keith Jarrett was asked to play with Miles Davis in his electric band, and even Keith Jarrett said yes to that, even though he doesn't play... That that says something, because Keith Jarrett doesn't play electric piano. He's very much against the electric electric instruments. So that says something about Miles Davis being able to get who he wants. But that was only for a short time. I mean, Keith Jarrett is an icon in his own right. And just, just as John Coltrane is a jazz icon in his own right. So... You choose what people and you combine those people together in terms of the schedule as well as, well, well, the schedule is one thing, but the, the artistic sound is another. Because we could say that this whole thing of just get the, the best musicians, well, it doesn't quite work like that because we've seen in music history these so-called super bands where you just ch- take the best musician from this band and this band and this band and you put them all together and then, well, you should have a better band than all their normal bands, right? Well, not exactly. Because in a collection of humans, there is a, I want to say, epiphenomena or a a meta soul. There's a soul to the band. There's something in just how it is with only those musicians. And it only works when it's those exact musicians. And somehow it just doesn't happen when one of them is replaced or one of them is different. And Miles Davis, well, he did this throughout his whole career. So he made many bands based on this. Most famously, he had his quintet with Red Garland and Philly Joe Jones and those guys, and that was the first quintet, 
And they did all those albums, steaming, cooking, working, relaxing. And then he had the second quintet, which was the same instrumentation. And yet he had Herbie Hancock, uh, Ron, Ron Carter, who was it, Wayne Shorter, and Tony Williams. And those musicians were specifically chosen and had a specific alchemy. It was a sound, the band sound. It was a singular sound. And it was the genius of Miles Davis to pick them and bring them together and work with them. Now, the second component of making a band is, well, what do we work on? Like, who's directing the flow of what we do? And this is like the manager. This is the, this is the visionary. This is the one who's overseeing everything. This is the guy who's on the head of the board of direction, directors. Now, when he's in the band, when you're in the band and you've got your players, there's only so much you can work with. There's only so much you can do because different musicians have different capabilities. They have different realm of abilities, different realms of understandings, different characteristics, different personalities. And it can be that, well, you get a whole bunch of really good musicians in the room and yet there's no vision, there's no leadership, there's no alchemy. And that's because, well, sometimes the band leader just doesn't know how to get the parts working and coordinating together. And, well, that's what Miles Davis did. He did know how to get them working together. He did know how to make them first flower as a musician and be the best version of themselves, but then also do that in relation to the other musicians. Have an overall sound, have an overall picture of how the different parts work together. And he did that in so many bands. And so many of them had a huge innovative shift almost as as big as the shift of hot as the, the shift as big as from hot jazz to cool jazz from going from hard bop to modal jazz like he did with the album kind of blue and that's really astonishing that's really something that is to be admired and it's something to understand about music and also also innovators in general, because we can look at Miles Davis and we can say, well, maybe he's not that good of a musician, you know, he can't play that fast, he can't play that complex. You could have said, oh, maybe he was just doing cool jazz because he couldn't keep up with all those fast, hot jazz musicians. And, well, that's not exactly true because he could keep up. What's coming through, though, is something more, it's something beyond the musicianship. There's only so much you can do, there's only so much to be said about an individual musician being good at their instrument. I mean, there are musicians that play well on their instrument, and then there are musicians who lead bands well, 
And Miles Davis, well, he's in the latter. And what comes out, and this is another, what I'd say, key defining features of Miles Davis's genius, is soul. What he has is soul. And when you listen to Kind of Blue and you hear that first trumpet solo, what's happening there is soul. It's beyond just his own little world. It's actually a very big world. It's a kind of magic that's happening. That's somehow spontaneous and then spontaneous and yet very carefully, very carefully orchestrated, very meticulously designed to be rough around the edges. And that's his personality. That's Miles Davis. And off the bandstand, well, (laughs) there are a lot of hairy stories surrounding the man. I mean, he's got an autobiography which tells all sorts of crazy stories about the jazz world. And it's it's a pretty rough world at times, the 1950s to 60s jazz. There are, there are women, and there are betrayals, and there are frustrations. There are accidents that happen. There are drugs. Heroin, heroin was a big problem for jazz musicians in that era. And there's a lot of darkness around there. So the man himself... I mean, can you separate, maybe that's a thesis for another day, is can you separate a man from his music or music from a person? Who knows? Can we have an appreciation of a person's music and yet not an appreciation of who they are? I don't know. That's a tricky one. Maybe that can just be our food for contemplation. So, it's a large discography and I don't feel the need to go into too much detail about it. I mean, I've already mentioned many of the things that have struck me and I'll just reiterate what I said at the beginning, which is a genius of American jazz music, such as Miles Davis, has so many things in their discography and so many huge shifts that are hard to understand how innovative they are, how much of a risk they were, And how much of an impact they had on American culture and jazz, world jazz culture at large. 
So it's just by coincidence, really, that I've picked a few here to discuss today. And I think probably most people would understand the shift that occurred with the album Kind of Blue. So he's definitely someone we should all know about and we should all have an appreciation of. He's definitely well worth the discovery of and well worth listening to. And now, well, what is what is jazz music now? <laughs> well, some people say you have to innovate, which means we have to do something new, which means we can't do what they did in the past. And that's, well, that's progressive jazz. That's the, the progressive meme. And yet others say, no, jazz is what Miles Davis did, so we need to do what he did. And we need to play the songs that are on Kind of Blue. And that's, well, that's traditionalism or conservatism. And these are value spheres that come up everywhere, <laughs> not just in the jazz world. But I think that's enough for us to say now about Miles Davis and some thoughts about him which have been floating around today. And that's all I have to say for now.